You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. 40 years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Yeshua Pupko of Beth Israel Beth Aaron. Now, Rabbi Pupko, as we are in the midst of the three weeks approaching the nine days, it's serendipitous that the Dafiomi, that so much of Klai Yisrael is learning, are these famous Gemaras in the Perak Nezalkan in, in Gitin, the fifth Perak, that deal with the reasons behind the terrible Chorbonis that we suffered during this period. And on the back of Nun Zayin Abbezun Ches Hamid Alif, they will find a description, which I always thought was fascinating, of the dead bodies that were discovered in Betar, this incredible city, the city that put up this amazing defense. And the Gemara says that they discovered in the terrible ruins of Beta, this incredible city that we mourn uh, the loss of, of so many lives, they point out the tefillin that was on the heads of those victims. The amazing Kedusha, as the Maral points out, that this city had, that they felt so dovik Hashem, even the ones that were fighting in, in the army, they, they kept their tefillin on, and the Gemara describes the amount of tefillin that they found. It's sort of like an eerie presaging the the images that we have Nebuch, from from the concentration camps of all the things that we discovered, the, the detrius that was thrown out. And I was thinking about an article that I shared with you from Haaretz about, I'm not sure what the name of the organization is, but maybe they should just call the name after the this person who, who is speaking here as their spokesman. Noor Narkis is leading the charge against Chabad and their tefillin booths. He feels that that this is this is terrible. The government should do something to restrict them. They are setting up their booths, and they are uh, right near schools in Tel Aviv and other secular areas. And it's it's a missionary presence. They they are handing out pizzas and gifts to young children in exchange for religious content. They need written parental consent, and this is something. Who knows how big of an issue? Well, it is. okay, this is okay. This is fascinating. I find it because. There are a lot of conflicting feelings I have about this. Let, let me let me put my comments in perspective. I've often told my children that I'm starting a new branch of Judaism called oppositional Judaism. When I'm with from people, I fight with them. When I'm with secular Jews, I fight with them. When I'm with Chabad, I fight with them. When I'm with secular Jews, I'll even defend Chabad. But I'm always against the people I'm with. So it's always important when you look at any issue to look at how you would do it if the situ- if the tables were turned. In other words, let's say the con- current controversy in America about drag queen story hour in schools, right? Where parents are demanding more of a say in who approaches their children or educates their children or what they're being educated about. So we tend to sympathize with parents who see an intrusion of radical, you know, ideas in a school setting. And are opposed to it. We we tend to sympathize with those parents, at least I do. So on the one hand, I am sympathetic to those who want a certain degree of supervision or even control over what their uh, children are exposed to. We can all debate whether at what age that ends. Uh, again, these are people on the street. This is not a school setting. The kids don't have to be there. So it's radically different than inviting a drag queen story hour into your kindergarten, right? And they're not little kids. These are teenagers. And and a, and a kid is, is is you know has you know can't stop at the table or not stop at the table. So I'm, I'm not sure it's really analogous. The fact that there are people who feel threatened 
by uh, their kids being exposed to a Jewish ritual. I find that sad. Do I sympathize with those Chabad guys putting on tefillin? Absolutely not. Right? I would never cheapen that which is most sacred to me by selling it on a street corner like I would apples and oranges. No, I don't do that. It's not my thing. Also, I don't do mitzvahs to bring Mashiach. I think that's low l'shema. You do a mitzvah because it's a mitzvah, and they believe you bring Mashiach this way. And I don't know where, where that's written, that you're supposed to do mitzvahs to bring Mashiach. Are you familiar with the text that says that? Look, you know, the elephant in the room, of course, is that this is the Mitzah of the Rebbe. This was the 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 last Lubavitcher Rebbe's Einfall. This is what he came up with. And you're right, it probably has messianic undertones. This is really what makes a Chabad Chosid. Look, we find something similar in the Mormon young people who, of course, go on their on their missions, the ones who come to people's homes. You you can't necessarily go to this Mormon fellow and shake him up and say, why are you doing this? What no, 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 no. I, I want to tell you something. Chabad is the only group of Jews that were able to produce a huge cadre of young people willing to go out and service the Jewish people. It's everywhere, right? And I would say that every single one of those courageous Chabad house openers in, Bo- in Bozeman, Montana, and in Mumbai, all of them today started off putting tefillin on. Uh, on sure. Right. They all were engaged in this activity. And I won't argue that there are times, I think it's minuscule, but there are times when that act of being asked to put on a tefillin triggers a deeper exploration of Jewish life, leading to very positive results. I don't think it's a majority of the time <laughs> or a large number of times, but there are probably times it happens. We could argue about, was the Rebbe himself a, a ultra-spiritual giant tzaddik who somehow recognized in a prophetic way that this was necessary. And it's possible that's true. I'm not denying that possibility. But but here is what I don't think the Rebbe wanted. He didn't want these booths for them to go over to someone like me and you and, and some from obviously religious person and say, hey, do you want to put on tefillin today? Oh. And and that's what I have encountered with these these youngsters. It's not practiced with seichel often. We all know that that you're right. Maybe there's, as you can say, that the irreligious secular person is now confronted with this this mystical box that can somehow maybe move him. But I think the religious people, the people who are even wearing a kippah sruga, who are clearly shomer torah mitzvahs, they are damn insulted when someone asks them if they want to put on tefillin today. Yeah, I have a friend of mine who claims when he was approached by a chabadnik to make a bracha on, on the lulav and esrig. He made a bar pre eights and bit the esrig. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it actually happened, but he claims it happened. I'll tell you what I do. When I'm, when I'm in out, uh, for, yeah, the, the Rebbe said something interesting. He said that no one should go to Poland. Now, for whatever reason, his, uh, his acolytes uh, flamboyantly disregard his directive and, and do go to Poland. And they were, they were one time on the, in the grounds of Birkenau putting tefillin on, on, on the kids on the March to Living. So because I'm such a nice person, I told all the teenage girls that I was with to go over and ask them for tefillin to annoy the guy. <laughs> so. Well, women, the women of the wall are out there, at least in Rehob, King George, at least they were putting on tefillin on women. Right? I got nothing against Anything against that? I got nothing against that. They want to put on tefillin, let them put on tefillin. So, so it really doesn't bother you that there's street performance. Women of the wall bother me enormously 
again, in my taking my oppositional uh, pedestal, I would say that when the women of the wall show up, everyone's excited and everyone does their thing, right? The women hold the Torah and walk in and the Hasidim scream and yell at them. And I should say some, a small number scream at them. And sometimes it comes to pushing and shoving and whatever. I, 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 I'm repulsed by both sets of behaviors. And let me tell you why. Obviously, there's no reason to scream and yell at people. Okay, there's no reason ever to scream and yell at people like that. It's ridiculous. But also, you know, for the women of the wall, if the religious sensibilities of Hindus were being offended, they would be the first one to say, you know, these are the natives of this place. These are the people who deserve respect. If they say we shouldn't wear yellow, let's not wear yellow. The natives of the wall are the ultra-Orthodox. I don't care what anybody says. They're the ones who make sure whether the scuds are falling or the, or, or the snow is falling, that they are there and the Kaisal is never a Yasum. There are people there day and night. And maybe their religious sensibilities deserve some grudging respect. Maybe. And, and number two, if you know that what you're going to do will harm the dignity and honor of the Jewish people by putting a, a, a picture in American media of religious fanatics yelling at women who want to, you know, dive in together at, at the Kaisal. If what you do is going to cause embarrassment for the Jewish people, even if you write, even if you're right, you don't do it. You don't do it. Because no matter what issue is important to you, there are always two other issues. Number one, the unity of the Jewish people and the dignity of the Jewish people. And if what you're going to do is going to cause embarrassment, as it does every single Rosh Chaydish, you don't do it. You don't do it. So the women of the wall are wrong, and certainly far more wrong are the people who yell and shout and scream and throw rocks. 100%. But you don't do it. And the fact is there is a minion of women or from women every Friday night at the Kaisal that nobody bothers. They go and they daven, they have their own Kabbalah Shabbos, and no one bothers them because everyone knows their purpose is to daven, not to make a scene. Which is, it really reflects, you know, Rav Salvechik's opinion about women's prayer groups, that if they are motivated by a sense of their feminine feminist agenda, then he was against it. I understand how women would find that sentiment offensive. I haven't agreed with much of it, but in other words, we don't ask men what their intention is, why, why they go to Shul. Why are you asking us why we go to Shul? I mean, I understand the opposition to that sentiment. But the fact is, when it results repeatedly in embarrassment for the Jewish people, right, you don't do it. When you're offending the religious sensibilities of the people who are the de facto caretakers of that sacred site, you don't do it. It's sometimes hard to distinguish between my agenda and the means of what I'm doing and the significance of, of that individual act. When we talk about, like, like Rep. Salvatric felt and Rep. David Cohen and Flatbush echoed that, that if the purpose for the minion, the purpose for the laning, the purpose is because we want, we love the mitzvah, that's one thing. If the purpose is because we feel there's an imbalance in Jewish life between men and women, and this is a way of restoring that, so then the mitzvah has really become uh, a secondary... I, I would call it kardom lachborbot. So here again, we can go back to our tefillin question. What, what, on one hand, there is the, the beauty and the sense of how powerful tefillin can be, the connection between mind and heart and body and soul and, 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 and wrapping yourself and binding yourself on the other hand, it's, it's, it spells Chabad, and for the women of the wall, it spells the fact, hey, 
it never says in the Gemara women can't wear tefillin, right? We right. know Rashi's daughter, Michal Bashol, they all wore tefillin, right? So this is clearly a way to enhance a certain feminist ideology, an ultra-feminist ideology. It isn't that you want people to do more mitzvahs. Listen, I, I think we have to admit that even in the Haredi community, women's role in Judaism over the last couple hundred years has evolved. I mean, Sora Schneier was a radical and a revolutionary that had the support of the Chavetz Chaim, for God's sakes. My Bubba of blessed memory, the, the Rebetzin Peshachaya, right, who was the daughter of the rabbi of Saratov, right? She sat at the table when her late father, her Rav Yaakov Moshes, appear later of Bezin and Petah Tikva, would sit and learn Gemara with, with her brothers. And when I was a kid and I came home from yeshiva, she would ask me what daf I was on and she would fahir me on the Gemara, Rashi, and Taisis, anywhere in Nashim and Ezekiel, right? She knew. And uh, my cousin of Rami Schwartz even tells the story about how one Thursday night she's in the kitchen with her sleeves rolled up deep in the gefilte fish and her husband, my Zayda Eliezer Popko of blessed memory was learning with Rup Chaim Zimmerman. If you remember Chaim Zimmerman and they were learning and they were arguing about something in the Gemara and he swears that she wiped her hands on the towel, walked into the room, flipped the Gemara to the riff, pointed to the Mohammed and says, it's right here. We went back to make the gefilte fish. With Chaim Zimmerman and Mizeta left speechless. By the way, in that regard, let's just give the the last Rebbe his due. He was one of the pioneers in bringing women into serious intellectual learning uh, in the Orthodox circle. And, and the Chabad Rebetzins are all proof to that. I think part of what was changing, uh, uh, Rabbi, was at the end of the 19th century, things started to change, especially in the in the early part of the 20th century. There was an incredible enhancement uh, in women's learning and knowledge, even in, even secular things. I think there's always a yatsadaifin of a of of a woman like. Oh yeah, yeah, no, my, my grandmother's certainly not typical. No, yeah, right. There's always there's always the the, the yatsadaifin, but I think that the um, the idea of of marginalizing women is not the issue. The question is understanding gender roles and i think that's part of what what why there was so much uh backlash to the women of the walls tefillin campaign and, and, and in general I, I mean listen there's a lot of listen i i think in this issue you know community standards vary obviously but for instance in a modern orthodox synagogue there is no legitimate justification to deny a woman a leadership role in a synagogue. What I mean by lead, a lay leadership role, that means there's no reason a woman can't be the president of a shul, right? There's no reason why not. Well, I, it depends. It depends. I, again, we do have the Rambam and Hilchas Malochim. Let me, I want to tell you a story. When I was a, a young young man in the mid-80s, I came to Montreal for probe, and I had a meeting with all with, with about 12 men in a room uh, all of whom, well, one was the president and the rest of them were past presidents of the congregation. And one of the things they asked me as a joke, would you accept a woman as president of the shul? And I, they said it as a joke because in Montreal, it still hasn't happened in an Orthodox shul until today. And they asked me if I would accept a woman as president. And I said, absolutely, yes. And they thought I was joking. And I said, well, Rabbi, I was, I was a Muslim. And they said, well, I said, the Rambam says that no important communal position can be given to a woman. I said, no one thinks synagogue presidents are important. The only people in the world who think a synagogue president is important are Rosh Hashivas, who like to make fun of rabbis kowtowing to them. 
So I, let, let, let me let me quote to you of Ravram Yishayah Schwartz's father, who I was Zoha to Talmud of, uh, your uncle Rav Gedalia When I asked him, because this was the make it or break it question for me, whether I was going to become the Rav of the Shul. And um, he told me, but he says I couldn't be Mepharsim in, in his name, that the reason why he said it's not a Sarara is because, the, as you say, the president is a is an elected agent of the Tzibur, and he doesn't have the right to really put demands on others. Your father, Zechert Tzadik Levrocha, presented to Ramesha Feinstein about the woman Mashkiach in Pittsburgh, right. about whether that had a shame Sarara. And based on that tshuva, your uncle, Rav Gedalia, said to me that since he's elected, he's basically doing the will of the people, the people. Him, that a, a, a woman would not have Sarara. By the way, another related issue, which was one of the reasons I was brought in to this show, was when I got there, the woman was not president yet, but the Gert Sedek was the president. Okay. And, and and one of the reasons why this show was created was because they broke away from a show that they wouldn't let the Gert Sedek be president. Why not? Well, what's the grounds not to allow a Gert Sedek to be? The same exact Rambam, that it's considered, you know, we don't give... That's immediate- insanity. That's literal insanity. Are they not afraid of trespassing the law not to oppress the Gert? And again, if you look even on the bylaws of many uh, Orthodox synagogues, it's not so simple, this matter. Anyway, right, bylaws were written in 1880. I mean, let's look at <laughs> But there are shuls today that will still not have a Gert Sedek as president and will definitely not have a woman as president. Listen, Gert Sedek, I've never heard of an issue before. I mean, it just, you know, but uh, women, I, I, in other words, we need to say in certain communities to say yes as often as possible. So let me ask you, you're in a shul and a group of women want to get together and a woman reads McGillis Esther for other women. Would you allow that? No, but is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with a woman reading McGillis Esther? No, no, no. A McGillis Esther for women with them in reading is, is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah, that's what I would say. But anyway, the point, I think we've gone really far afield here, starting from our uh, Haruge Beitar. But the, the women who fought didn't wear tefillin, the Haruge Beitar. Yes, well, it, it's possible. It is definitely, um, as we're approaching Tisha B'Av in the nine days, but it's also summer blockbuster season. I, I'm reminded, Rabbi, of a period way back in 1981 when you and I were chavrusas at night. You might remember that. You used to come to the Mir Yeshiva. And, yeah. and we would learn shiltois and then say from mitzvahs of Rav I remember you came to me in that 1981 evening and said, Avramo, you've got to go see Raiders of the Lost Ark. I have to tell you, I had been up until that point, I had I had a shvua that I wasn't going to go to see movies, but you invest, you said yes. And I, I remember I, I went into the base of Edrish and I spoke to my my friend, uh, Sholgold, who of course is the the, the son of the, the revered rabbi in Worcester, a tremendous Talmud Chochem. And I said to him in Yiddish, I said, Medarf gein zayin reiders hand. And he said to me, Yo, ich bin maskim. So when the Seder was over, we borrowed my very wealthy roommate's car and we drove out to Long Island in a place where we knew we wouldn't be seen. And we uh, allowed ourselves to be overwhelmed by the, the Kedusha Sa'orin. 
So I just want to remind you of that little summer memory. Yes, it was a new Raiders, but they digitally made him younger, Harrison Ford. But you know what? The best villains are still the Nazis, right? (laughs) But you know what? Also, what movie is getting great reviews is the new Mission Impossible. Maybe the reason Mission Impossible has that score is Bruce Geller, of course, was a Jew who created the television series. And he hired the only, as far as I know, the only the only Froome actor who ever really made it in any real major way, uh, Stephen Hill. So maybe it's Stephen Hill's first that Mission Impossible after all these years. All I can tell you is that it was the big simcha to wait when Havdalah was over to watch Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised we're not breaking out into the Mission Impossible theme song, but why don't we do that as we end today? You ready? I'm ready. Done. Done. We'll catch you next time, everybody. Take care. Don't play with matches. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 